Well, good morning. How we doing? All right, you got to give me, we're moving back to Georgia. You got to give me a rebel yell. How we doing? Go say, we're doing good, y'all. How y'all doing? How you and the kids doing? <clears throat> well, for those of you who uh, don't know me, my name's Terry Earwood, and uh, I am one of the pastors here for another hour. Um, I've been here on staff for 15 years. <clears throat> and I have loved almost every minute of it. Uh, so many blessings in my life. Sheila and everybody stand up. <clears throat> I know I'm married over my head. Don't remind me of that. And <laughs> outpunning my coverage. Um, but many of you have been so instrumental in helping shape those three, and actually the four, James. Uh, we call him our son, our son-in-law. He is an in-law, he's not an outlaw. Uh, <laughs> but just the way that you as a family have come around my kids and have helped us shape them with a heart for the gospel, both being baptized here, Elise was already baptized when we came, but just the way that uh, you invited us in and the way that you have uh, joined with us in ministry and in the mission that God has called us to uh, for the fulfilling of the great co commandment and the great commission. And so we're just delighted to be able to stand before you this morning and uh, with hearts full of gratefulness and thanksgiving to say, press on, finish faithful is my message this morning. And it's that mirror that I'm preaching to this morning. <laughs> it's not the windshield where I'm looking out to you, but it's actually the mirror that God put before me about two years ago. And he used that time of reflection to see, to allow me to see the brokenness in my life, to allow me to see a lot of this self-righteousness that I had created in my own journey, in my own life. And I, I was depending less upon Christ's righteousness. And he allowed me to see that. And with that, he renewed my joy. He renewed my heart for serving him. And this morning, uh, as I uh, kind of cap off my time here, I thought this would be a great topic for me and for you as well. And it's finishing faithful. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. As you're turning there, let me ask you this question to get us kind of thinking about what we're going to be talking about today. How many can remember an experience in your life? It could have been a competition you were in. It could have been a program. It could have been one of these uh, personal goals that you set for yourself. And you stayed with it all the way to the end because you knew when you got to the end, there was a huge prize that was waiting on you. How many of you have experienced that, right? Most of us, right? Get that 
get that experience in your mind. You got it in your mind? Remember how hard it was? Remember how challenging it was? Remember how often you got distracted from the real prize? Other things came in, kind of threw you off, got your attention, maybe even in your flesh, if it was a diet or something. Maybe, you know, you just said, I'll cheat this one time. Remember how hard it was to stay faithful? This is Paul's message to this Philippian church, to these followers of Christ. He's going to remind them that this journey that they're in, this faith journey, is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But the prize that we will receive, the prize that they will receive when they finish, will be worth every ounce of energy and sacrifice that they've made toward this. When Paul wrote this letter, he had already lived a lot of life, but he wasn't finished yet. And neither were these believers that he was writing to. So he takes this opportunity and he gives them a pep talk. He gives them kind of this motivational speech here in Philippians 3. But before I get there, I think for us, there's this tendency to when we, we talk about an apostle Paul, or we talk about a, a character in the Bible that God used in a mighty way, a lot of us, all of a sudden, we kind of discount ourselves. We kind of discount our importance to the kingdom. We kind of even question, well, God, I'm not like that person, or I'm not like this person. I want that out of your minds this morning. Because what you're going to hear from this apostle is you're going to hear that he was like one of us. That you and I, not me because I'm on this stage, or not elders and pastors because that's our, quote, profession. But no, Paul and the Spirit of God is engaging you in this call to finish faithfully. I was reminded of this. Paul David Tripp in his uh, New Mercies Every Morning devotion, August 29th, he says, the Bible does not celebrate the steely spirit of a bunch of heroic characters. No, the Bible puts before us people who were just like you and me. They were weak and fearful. They were easily deceived and disloyal. They doubted God as much as they trusted him. They sometimes followed God's way and at other times demanded their own way. These were not natural-born heroes. These were not individuals to be celebrated. Yet they all accomplished great things, things that were crucial for the advancement of God's purpose. What made the difference? You can answer the question with one word, grace. Grace transformed their hearts, giving them the desire, the power, and the wisdom to do what they would not have been able to do on their own. Grace means that when God calls you and I, he goes with us, supplying what we need for the task at hand. They weren't naturals. No, they were transformed. That's you and I this morning. So let's read with that in mind. I'm going to start in verse 1. 
Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and in the glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, even if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul starts out, he throws all of his personal credentials out, and he says, that's who I used to be. And boy, was I self-righteous. And boy, was I, I grew up in the church and I was living. I got my Awana badges. I got my memory verses in my head and in my heart. And we're moving along. And I'm proving myself righteous to God. And then all of a sudden, God arrests him. He captures his heart. He gives him a new heart. He gives him new eyes to see that all of this stuff that he thought was going to win him favor with God didn't mean as much as he thought it did. Look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He came to a point where nothing humanly or materially could begin to match what Christ had given to him through new birth, through a transformation of his spirit coming into Paul, opening up his eyes to see his need for that Savior, not his need to depend on his religion, but to depend on his relationship with the Creator and the Savior. When that happened for Paul, game changer. And he wanted the Philippians to know it. He threw out all the credentials and said, this ain't what it's about, guys. What it's about is Christ's righteousness, not our righteousness apart from Christ. Look at verse 9. And, he, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ through faith in Christ and be found uh, uh, hang on a minute be found in him not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith you got the picture Paul knew the power of God in his life Paul knew that his faith needed to be completely and solely devoted to Jesus Christ. Not himself, not the church, not even the leaders, but to Jesus Christ first and foremost. See, he wants to experience Christ's power. And he's willing to endure suffering and even death. Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So in verses 1 through 10, you kind of got the why. Paul is so passionate about this 
pep talk, this motivational talk he's doing. He's excited about it. He's adamant about it because he's bragging on Jesus. He knows what the power of God can do in the life of one who chooses to follow daily Jesus Christ. He's adamant about that. He's excited. But he also knows there's a how to the why. And this is what he's going to get into here in verses 12 through 14. And this is where we're going to spend our time today. This is how he did it. As I read this, listen to see if you find the points. And don't cheat and look on your notes. But listen and see if you can see the points here of how Paul finished faithful. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Three thoughts from those verses there of how we're going to finish this race faithfully, of how if we'll endure and stick it out to the end, that this eternal prize, Jesus himself, in new creation, for us to perfectly, finally be like him, eternally, forever, in his presence, in perfect fellowship with him. This is the prize. This is what Paul wanted to make sure they didn't miss. He starts out, verse 13, with the first thing they need to do. They need to forget the past. In Bible language, that word forget doesn't mean for you to fail to remember. Because most of us, we can't totally erase our past, right? We can't erase the past experiences that come to our mind. And God's not asking us to do that. Paul's not asking them to do that. But he is saying, forget those things that shaped you. Remember, he threw those credentials out early on. Those are some of the things that we need to forget. Our religiosity, our practices, our attempts to please God. Those are some of the things that we might want to choose to forget. But actually, this word forget means that we need to no longer be influenced or affected by our past experiences, whether they were successful or whether they failed. We don't let it control us or create this false sense of pride or shame based on our success and our failure. See, when we view our past through the lens of the biblical story, we begin to see how God's written us into it. He owns our testimony. We all have a different testimony if we're a follower of Jesus Christ in Him. We were born in this time in history, we were born to the family we were by his providence. It's his testimony. It's his past. Give it to him. Let him redeem it. Let him have it. He is working out a salvation through his power and plan for new creation in us. You see, living in the past can have such power over us. And this is what Paul was trying to get them to, to see. It can cause us to live too safe, can it? 
And it can even cause us to live way too much about ourselves and not about the mission of the gospel. Several years ago, a survey of 200 men and women ages 95 and older were asked this question. If you could change anything in life and have a do-over, what would you change? Here are the top four responses they got. Number one, they would take more risk. Number two, they would give more importance and commitment to their re religious beliefs and practices. Number three, they would care less about what they had and more about who they had. Number four, that they would not live in the past. They would forgive, forget, and live life. Sounds very similar to Paul's words here, doesn't it? You see, when we choose to live for the future, we break the power of the past. Paul is trying to get them to focus on finishing the race. And he's saying, keep your eyes fixed on that prize. Keep your eyes fixed on that finish line because it will be worth it. So we keep looking forward, not distracted by looking back. Celebrate past victories. Celebrate past failures if you need to. But then readjust and get your eyes fixed and gazed upon Christ and the future. Secondly, verse 14, forgetting the past, fighting in the present. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That phrase there, press on, means relentless striving. If you're familiar with the Apostle Paul's writings throughout the, the books, he uses these action phrases throughout his books, right? Fixing your eyes on Jesus, standing firm in the faith, walking by the Spirit, running in the race, fighting the good fight of faith, defending the truth, being instant in season and out of season, wrestling with principalities and powers. You see, all of these terms that Paul uses throughout his writings, these are action terms. Our faith journey, Paul's faith journey, should never be passive. It should never be boring. We're on the front lines. And we're under enemy fire constantly. And this is what Paul is going to get into. He's using this press on term so that they'll really grind in, so that they'll really dig deep and not quit. See, Paul knew that this faith journey was really a spiritual battle. He knew that there was an enemy that would constantly rage against him, that would constantly woo him away and his love away from Christ, his first love away from Jesus to lesser things. Every day, Paul experienced this, this battle, this spiritual war that was going on. In fact, he's writing in prison here to the Philippians. And he knows that this spiritual battle, you can't play games with it because it will cost you the finish line if you're not careful. As 
See, he faced it head on. He was willing to suffer and die to finish. All the while, depending upon the power of God and the prize that was before him. This American church is where we have to be careful, right? We have to be careful not to be deceived in the thinking that if we join the Jesus party, right, if we, if we do these things that we think are the right things to do to, you know, win God's favor, that all should be good and that we can kind of coast in. We can kind of get our fire insurance, right, by saying, you know, Jesus is Lord and Savior and live in any way we want. Mm -mm. That's not what Paul had in mind at all. He had a spiritual fight. He had a battle that he was involved in, and that ought to excite us because we can't win that battle apart from the great warrior, Jesus Christ, who fights that battle for us and with us. When COVID began, I ran across this business concept in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. It's called the, Stock, the Stockdale Paradox. It's named after Admiral Jim Stockdale, who was a military officer. He was held captive for eight years as a PLW in Vietnam War. He was tortured more than 20 times during his time. And over these eight years, there was hundreds, maybe even thousands of POWs that would join him along the way. And when he got rescued and came back to the U.S., in multiple interviews over and over, they would ask him, Admiral, how did you survive? Why were you the one that survived? Where are all the others? Why didn't they make it? He found himself answering that question the same almost every time. And he said, you know, I never gave up hope. I never lost the prize of seeing my wife and family again. Well, what about the other people? Didn't they have the same hope? He said, yes, but, but they would come in here and they would begin to set dates. And they would set these dates based on American holidays. And they would say, well, surely by Thanksgiving, they're going to let us out. Didn't happen. A little bit of their heart, they would lose. A little bit of their steadfastness, they would lose. Then Christmas would come. Well, surely we'll get out by Easter. And slowly, they would just lose hope. And they would lose faith. And they would lose the reality of being released. They lost sight of the prize of what it would feel like, what it would be like to be released. And so he came up with this paradox, this business concept that's used throughout corporate America today. And, it, and it's this, and I think this is Paul's message right here with fighting in the present. It says, you must maintain unwavering faith that you can and will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties. And at the same time, here's a paradox, have the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. You see, Paul never saw Christianity as self-serving it was always 100% sacrifice. 
He was, a, he was a warrior. He was in a battle. And unfortunately, he had seen firsthand the enemy take out many of his teammates. As you read through his letters, you'll see in tears, and we'll even pick up this in uh, the latter verses of chapter 3, where he's in tears, where he talks about those who were with him at one time that are not with him anymore. They got out of the race. He had to deal with the shame and the hurt that accompanied these dear friends walking away from the faith that they once participated in, that they were once side by side with him in. Unfortunately, this morning, as I look out of this crowd, some of you, you're going to be distracted away from the race. Some of you, you're going to take a hiatus. You're going to be captured by the lesser things of this world. Not that they're not pleasing, but they're lesser. And you're going to have to decide, how am I going to finish? And we're going to be praying that the grace of God allows you to repent and turn before you finish. Right? And you're doing that for your kids right now. Many of you, I've prayed with you in tears as your kids have chosen to walk away and walk out of the church. And what do we do? We pray for God's grace to save them. We pray for God's grace to bring them back. How are we doing? Hurts us, don't it? Makes us question our own faith sometimes. I Man, it just... It, blows my mind right now we're in this age where social media it's even popular for celebrity Christians to denounce their faith on social media it's heartbreaking I will never claim that I know how it affects Jesus but it's got to break his heart it broke Paul's heart it breaks our pastor's hearts and our elders hearts here when a sheep goes astray. Paul was pleading with them. Stay in Christ's righteousness, not your own. Be willing to suffer and die. Can you imagine, Paul? Can you imagine how many times he was tempted to quit. I mean, I can't even make it through a diet in two weeks, you know? <laughs> Can you imagine Paul being whipped in prison and all that he went through? How many times he thought about quitting? How many times have we thought about quitting our faith journey? How many times in, in our questioning of death and suffering and disappointment and church squabble and we wanted to quit more times than I'm proud of for me. Paul didn't quit. And he was encouraging these followers not to quit either. But he said, the reality is threats will come. Challenges will come. And they do, don't they? Let me just share a couple with you. I left some space in your notes uh, that you can write your own. But here's a couple 
of challenges and threats that I have in my own life. I'll just kind of be real with you guys this morning. One is fear. Fear of failure. So many opportunities in life I missed because of fear. An old sage, Francis Chan. Yeah, I said that. Uh, said this. We should never be afraid to fail. We should be scared to death at succeeding at what really doesn't matter. Oftentimes, we would leave a staff meeting or an elder meeting with this question in our mind. What did God accomplish in and through you this week that if he didn't show up and do it, it wouldn't have happened? Strong, isn't it? That's your leaders. <laughs> it's Todd and Mike and Christian and Billy, Pat, your elders, John and Dan. They love you. And they don't want you to walk in fear. They want you to walk in the confidence of Jesus Christ. And they want to help you as you do that. Another one for me is fear of man. Can't tell you how many times I've compromised my integrity. And I've covered my butt many times to win the approval of people. Well, guess what? I shouldn't fear the man, right, who can take my life. But I should fear him who can take my soul. Fear of man will strangle you. And it will distract you from finishing well. You will compromise if the price is right. Fear of loss. Holding on to our possessions. Not sharing them. Being overjealous of our family overprotecting them that we fear of losing them. Relationships. Even a comfortable way of life. We fear loss. Fear is great threat to my faith journey. To me finishing well. Another one is comfort. This is a silent killer. The older I get, the less I want my life to be interrupted. Just let me chill and veg out. Have you been there? <laughs> Gosh, I feel like I'm living there. Comfort is such a threat to finishing because it's not passive. Here's a sobering thought in comfort. Most of us will die long before they bury us. Many of us will die long before they bury us. How many of you have ever been to a funeral and you've known that person and apart from, you know, mental or, or physical, uh, just taking them out of the game, how many times have you sat in a funeral and in the sadness and in the emptiness of that room or that church, you knew 
you knew that this person, that they were laying to rest, had given up. They had died long before that coffin held their body. Comfort will do that to us. It will ease us in to ourselves. It will ease us in to our comforts. It will ease us in to gliding home. And that's not going to happen. We're going to go in fighting. So remember, we're in a spiritual battle, the wartime. Victory is worth the sacrifice. And lastly, finishing for the prize, forgetting the past, fighting in the present, and finishing for the prize. What is the prize? It's becoming like Christ, living eternally with him, enjoying the fullness of blessings and rewards in the age to come. It's, in, it's being in perfect fellowship with Christ Jesus forever. Does anything this side of heaven come close to that prize? If you can't immediately answer no to that, you need to ask the Lord, what is it? that I'm holding on to, that I'm not willing to give up? What is it that is distracting me right now that I can't see clearly that prize? That that thought of spending eternity with our Savior, Jesus Christ, doesn't motivate us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as ourselves. If that doesn't motivate us to share the gospel with others, regardless of the price that we feel like we'll pay, if we're out front with our faith. In the South, they would say, then your wood's wet. The fire's not in you. Nothing can come close to the promise of spending eternity with our Creator our blessed Savior, and our lover. But Paul knew too well how challenging it would be to stay motivated for eternal life when this present life is always pressing on us and always trying to get our focus upon it. Verse 18 and 19 Here's a sad account. Paul says this, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they, they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. See, Paul was adamant about this because he's seen firsthand over and over People who mistake the race to be about them and their trophies. They're willing to exchange earthly prizes for eternal prizes. But he says in verse 20 and 21, if you will keep your eyes, focus on the prize, our citizenship is in heaven. Verse 20. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body 
to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul is saying, there it is, hold on to this great hope of our future. This new creation will be our forever resting place, our forever home. We will finally be transformed into the perfect likeness of Christ in forever perfect fellowship with him. We must remember that it is the end that crowns us and not the fight. It is the end. If you're losing a battle right now, keep fighting. Surrender to the Spirit's power and to the truth and power of the Word of God because it is living and active and it can come against any enemy. And when you unleash it on the enemy, when you unleash it against falsehood, it can win that battle for us. Don't quit. Things may change in your life. Don't quit. Challenges might come. New adventures might come. Don't quit. Hard season might come. It's come to a lot of people over the last year and a half, huh? Don't quit. Don't quit. Here's a few questions in closing. They're in your notes, but I thought it'd be good to share them this morning. In light of keeping our eyes on the prize, question number one, how much do you think about new creation? How much are your thoughts throughout a given day or a given week or even about the new creation. What's next? Second question. When was the last time your thoughts about new creation got you excited? When did it stir you? When did it bring about in you this passion to love Jesus with all of your heart? Soul, mind, and strength. Number three, what ways, disciplines have you developed to keep your focus on eternity? What things have you added into your life that help you to stay focused on the spiritual battle you're in now and also on the prize of eternity? Because if you don't have a plan, the enemy does. And I would say, get a plan. Don't be religious to the plan, but get a plan where the Word of God is continually nourishing your soul and your mind, and you're in a place of open confession and, and genuine transparency before the Lord where you can confess any sin and even any unconfessed sin, that you will not deter the Spirit of God from being completely and totally active in your life. And then the last question, have you taken personal inventory of your earthly possessions and passions, comparing them with what you will inherit in eternal life? It's a tough one. Well, how did Timothy, I mean, how did Paul finish? How are we going to finish? How am I going to finish? How are you going to finish? 
One thing we know, we can't do it alone. You need one another. You need the body of Christ. You need the fellowship of believers. You need the encouraging, the correction, the rebuking of brothers and sisters who love you and care about you. And then with Paul, I pray that we can all say this. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I, I have kept the faith, finished the race. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for opening up our eyes to see the gospel in all of its beauty, to see our sinfulness, to see our need of a savior, to see that in this broken world that we live in, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This morning I pray if anyone's here, doesn't know you and is not currently following you, Holy Spirit of God, would you convict them of that this morning? Would you draw them to yourself? Do you open up their heart and their mind and their will to surrender their life to you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior? And then for others who are not on a journey, they are just living apart from God and never been uh, much on church, never been much on, uh, you know, they just attend for different reasons. I pray, God, that you would soften their heart, that you would open up their eyes, that the God of this age would not blind them any longer, but they would see the glorious gospel in the face of you, Jesus, this morning. And then for your saints, in our struggles, Lord, Give us supernatural strength and power. Lord, we want to finish well. We need your help. Moment by moment, would you help us, Lord? This morning, may we make a renewed commitment to finish well, to clean out, to take inventory of things that may be distracting us along this race. Bring them to our mind. Bring them to our heart. And as a band-aid is pulled off of the skin, so pull these things apart from our lives so that we can enjoy the healing and the refreshing and the freedom that comes with trusting you with all of our lives and with putting all of our faith and hope in you, Jesus and joining you forever, eternally, in your new creation.
We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.